Hello, I'm Sasha, and this is Q&A Thursday. Last week, we spoke to men's sexual health therapist Craig Para. To the pastor and the audience who was moved by that interview, thank you for your comments. If you have not already heard the interview with Craig Para, it is available on the Context website on the People's Blog. On Thursday, April 14th, the government of Canada disappointed people on both sides of the physician-assisted death debate with their new legislation. Of that disappointment, my colleague Stephen said this, in politics, a half of a loaf of bread is better than no bread at all. Today, we are talking about the half loaf that is the physician-assisted death legislation. Dr. Ian Gentles is a professor of history at Tyndale University and author of It's Not That Simple, Euthanasia and Assisted Suicide Today, published in 2015 by the DeWeber Institute of Bioethics and Social Research. We reached Dr. Gentles by phone at his office in Toronto. Uh, so I have a few questions for you around the physician-assisted death bill, obviously. Um, first of all, was there anything in the bill that surprised you? No, I was expecting that they would draw back from some of the most extreme recommendations in the parliamentary report that was submitted in February, and, and they did. For example, they're not going to allow assisted suicide for minors, and they're not going to allow wide-open assisted suicide for people suffering from psychological depression. My understanding is that it has to be psychological depression accompanied by physical suffering. So that's uh, slightly better than the totally wide open regime that, that the parliamentary report was advocating. What are your thoughts on the lack of protections for conscience rights? Well, I think that's very serious and I and I hope that Parliament will redress that lack of conscience rights because I was just talking to a, a specialist at Mount Sinai Hospital the other day and he said that they canvassed every doctor in the hospital and not one of them was willing to perform assisted suicide. So I think there are going to be some really big problems and Requiring doctors who don't want to do assisted suicide to refer to another one who will makes them complicit. Forcing doctors to refer is is to violate their conscience. But almost even more serious, I think, is the requirement that that hospitals and palliative care institutions uh, cooperate with the law against their founding principles, which are to preserve human life. I don't know what the Catholic hospitals are going to do. Will they defy the law, or will they be shut down, or or what? I think we have to allow for plurality and diversity, and we also have to allow for all those people who want a safe space where they can go and not be afraid that the doctor is going to give them a lethal injection. Um, when we consider that uh, in the 90s, uh, the name Jack Kevorkian was yeah. essentially synonymous with the boogeyman. Uh, Dr. Death. Yes, exactly. Uh, what do you think has changed in the cultural psyche to make 
the public accepting of the work of a man that was once called Dr. Death? Well, I think more and more, without realizing it, we're embracing the culture of death. And I think it's not, it's never acknowledged publicly, but in the back of a lot of people's minds is the thought that if uh, all these people who really don't want to go on living can have their lives ended, then that'll save a lot of health dollars without realizing that once this law really gets going, people are not going to simply exercise a right to choose assisted suicide. They are going to be actively encouraged and pressured into accepting assisted suicide. This is already happening in Oregon and Washington where a large number of the people who apply for assisted suicide give as a major reason that they don't want to be a burden to others. So it's not really about individual rights. It's about stepping out of the way and saving money and doing what your relatives want you to do or what your doctor wants you to do or what the hospital wants you to do. Uh, when we talk about that, a lot of people might say, you know, I would like to know the moment of my death. I'd like to know how and when and, and why. Um, and it maybe gives us the idea that we can prepare for death and perhaps that knowing when we will die and how uh, might give us uh, the option to really consider our mortality. Uh, what's wrong with that? Well, most people, you know, unless they're killed in an accident or a sudden heart attack, most people have a pretty good idea when death is coming, and they they are able to prepare themselves for it. I think it's um, I think another thing we're we're faced with, which is unfortunate, is what I call hyper individualism, or what a friend of mine calls um, the triumph of the will. People seem to have the idea that they have to have total control over their lives. And if they don't have total control over their lives and when they die, then somehow that's a violation of their rights. But there are all sorts of things we don't have control over and, and which I believe we should accept with a certain amount of passivity. We don't have control over when we're born. We don't have control over who our parents are, the color of our eyes or the color of our hair or how tall we'll be. There are all sorts of things that we can't control in this life, um, and we just accept that. Increasingly, though, those things are changing. We have an increasing amount of control over these things. Uh, some might say that this is just the advance of, of mankind. Well, it's, it's certainly the advance of individualism, and whether that's a good thing is, is a, a very pertinent question. But... I think we have to bear in mind the practical danger, and the people with disabilities are very alert to this, and that's why most of them are opposed to the new legislation. And that is, people who are vulnerable for whatever reason, because they have disabilities or because they're old and fragile and sick, and various people wish they weren't around anymore, there's a whole lot of vulnerable people who are going to now be a lot more vulnerable than before now that 
this is in this is kind of on the table this is public people know that this is an option yeah. and incidentally another danger and i think we're seeing it already at that indian reserve near james bay and that is suicide contagion the more the more suicide is out there on the table as a as a real option the more people are just going to be thinking about it and the more they think about it the more people will do it so it's one thing to talk about individual rights but we also have to think of the public good and the public good i don't think is served by making suicide very easy and offering it to people for free with the support and approval of the state what advice would you give to someone who is embarking on this path who is resolutely determined that this is how they want their life to end well i would say to them the same thing to my other, i said to my father because about 20 years ago or so he was dying of cancer and and he just read um that book by Derek Humphrey called something exit anyway he wanted um uh, help in ending his life and i said i said to him why do you think you need to end your life think of how many people will be will be um devastated if if you end your life think of think of your friends think of your family think of what your suicide will do to them and then and the second thing i said to him was you know you're dying and you know it's not going to be that long your pain is being taken care of quite well why don't you just let the dying process proceed naturally and so because my brother and i refused to give him any help to end his life he resigned himself to dying naturally which he did about 5 days later so that's what I would say. I would say why not just let nature take its course. It seems to me that there's that this is partially part of the tension as well is that there are people in this uh who believe that um we should try to live as naturally as possible and, and that includes death and, and others that don't. What do you what do you think about that? Do you think the line is that clear? No, I don't think the line is that clear because what struck me is that so many of the people who are very concerned about things like genetically modif- modified foods about climate change about the environment about animal rights um have very little concern about the preciousness of human life that seems the two almost seem to be opposed in their minds in fact some people explicitly say there are too many human beings on this planet and if we had a lot fewer we'd be so much better off so they want animals to be protected and fostered and promoted and the environment and the climate to be brought under control but they many of them have are actually hostile to the human race so i find that troubling and puzzling finally dr gentles uh i have one last question for you and that is this jesus is a god of mercy mm-hmm. a lot of con- people consider uh death in times of great pain to be a mercy how is choosing that in conflict with the teachings of Jesus well because it's saying we know better 
than he as to when we should die. It's, uh, I think it's hubris, it's pride, it's, it's uh, a kind of insistence that we have to have the final say in everything rather than leaving things up to God. So, yes, Jesus is merciful, and, and I and I hope he'll show us all mercy for the various wrongs we commit. Um, but I'm pretty sure that Jesus is on the side of life and that he's against hastening death. Dr. Gentle, thanks very much for uh, taking the time to speak to me. Not at all. That was Dr. Ian Gentles, professor at Tyndale and the author of It's Not That Simple, Euthanasia and Assisted Suicide Today. If you or anyone you know is affected by what we discussed today, you can contact me at comments at contextwithlorna.com or leave a message on the bottom of the host page. I am Sasha. That's it for this week. Join us next week for more Q&A Thursday. Mm-hmm.